The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Hello, hello, and welcome everybody to the Tech Cat Show. This week we have another special show. Last week I had the privilege of attending VidCon 2016, which is the largest gathering of YouTube influencers, tech companies, and media channels all working in the online video space. Now, online video has become a massive cultural force, launching careers and communities and creations of all kinds. And VidCon, which is a two-day conference that takes over Anaheim, California, exists as the largest gathering of people who are participating in this new culture. It was actually founded seven years ago by Hank and John Green, who are also known as the Vlog Brothers, which is one of the first YouTube shows that they created and developed a massive fan base. And John, you may have also heard of because he's a New York Times bestselling author. So we're going to jump right into a whole series of interviews where I hit the floor and I met with some very big YouTube creators, content companies, great brands that you've heard of, all working on, playing in, and really changing the way that we view content. So check it out, the Tech Cat live from VidCon 2016. I'm sitting down with another creator who has a very exciting story, literally one of those moments in her life where she went, I want to do this, and then it just all exploded. So we are with Elise Strawn, who's famous for her YouTube channel, My Cupcake Addiction. And start with your story, because it's such a great story. Well, I am. I used to be a flight attendant, and then my girlfriend and I decided that we would open our own cupcake shop. Well, that never actually happened. We started, well, I started making a lot of cupcakes for a local market. Spent about two years really refining my my art form in, in cupcake words, and, uh, and decided to open a cake decorating school. But first, my husband suggested that we test out whether or not people actually liked the way that I taught and the things that I wanted to show on the internet. So we loaded our first video to YouTube about five years ago, I think, the Cookie Monster Cupcake, which was one of my most popular at the, uh, at the market stall. And it really took off. You know, we, we weren't an overnight success, but certainly we looked at it after about three months of uploading videos and we thought, hey, this thing's got legs. People not only like the things that I make and the way that I teach, but they're loving the type of content that we're making. So, I mean, Fast forward five years later, we have one of the largest YouTube food pages or channels in the world, but we're also one of the top creators on Facebook and also Instagram. So we've got about almost 5 million followers on Facebook, almost 3 million on YouTube, and just about to hit a million on Instagram. Evidently, there are a lot of people in the world that like cake. And what market did you start out on? Because obviously, you kind of sound like you're from New Jersey or something. So, <laughs> But really, where are you guys from? Actually, from Australia. So we've, uh, we've just moved over to the US in the last the last week. Literally, that is like hot off the press. 
we started out in Australia and have lived most of our lives over there. So it's amazing being able to be so connected this day and age. You know, we live in a world where I live on an acre with seven chickens and I can make this content that reaches millions of people in its first week or two of uploading from literally anywhere in the world. Now, as a content creator, when you're deciding whether to put your content on YouTube or Facebook or Instagram, are you sitting down and coming up with a content strategy and saying, okay, we need to make it like this for this platform, this for this platform? Like, how do you determine what goes where? Absolutely. I think as a content creator, one thing that we have that differs from a lot of brands and a lot of brand managed pages and channels is that we're one-on-one with our viewers. So the second I put something out, I know if my audience has liked it. I know if I'm on the right track. I know if they're going to, if it's going to be a successful video or not. We have a very, very strong strategy for each platform. And that's through years of looking at them. So we know that initially when Facebook video came about, we would throw up a YouTube video and it just, it wouldn't go anywhere near as well on Facebook as it did on YouTube. So we watched and we listened to our audience and we worked out exactly what works. So now our strategy is very, different and very tailored for each platform. Our Instagram page is like a cultivated hub of everything cool and trending in sweets. And that's where we use the opportunity to showcase some of the most amazing, talented sweet creators around the world. So people will tag us in their photos. We share them. My audience gets to discover amazing new creators and we get to, I guess, constantly be trolling for the coolest, brightest and best sweet ideas. On Facebook, I know that I have a ton of moms and a ton of sort of that older demographic, 25 to 55 year olds. We don't have a lot of time. We're not sitting there whiling away our weekends. We're busy. So short, sharp, snackable content works best for us on Facebook. I also use Facebook Live to really uh, interact with my audience in a very real way. And then YouTube's perfect for that longer form content where people do want to sit down for five minutes to 15 minutes and really hash out how to make a full recipe from start to finish. Now, what made you decide to move to the U.S.? Our audience is predominantly U.S., which means that a lot of our opportunities are predominantly U.S. I've just released my first cookbook, so I'll be touring here later in the year, and I'm also working on a Food Network show at the moment. So we have a lot of business here. As much as we started our YouTube channel and our online pieces over in Australia, we can certainly do those from anywhere. But as we move beyond the digital platform, there is a real need for us to be here on the ground in the U.S. to make make those opportunities come to life in a very real way. Now, I see your beautiful book, so tell us a little bit about that and what that process was like. This was the first time that I had tried my hand at writing a book. It's something that I've always wanted to do and something my audience has been asking for for a long time. But like any platform, we wanted to make sure that we did something very different. There's no point in me putting out a correlation of all of the things that you can find for free on YouTube, putting them on paper and charging for them. That just doesn't make sense for me. So we released the book Sweet Celebrations. It's available for pre-order now and comes out officially in stores on the 25th of October in the US. It's really an extension of what I do on my digital platform. So it's organized by season, everything from a kid's party. Then you hit Valentine's, Easter, Father's Day, Mother's Day, Christmas, Halloween, Thanksgiving. So all of those times of the year where people really are entertaining and entertaining is at its peak. It's divided into sections where we start with like that big show-stopping cake and then you go into three small bakes, two no-bakes and two beverages. So you can pick and choose. If you just want to make a cake, go for it. If you want to pick a cake, a small bake and a no-bake, if you don't want to bake at all, you can still make our giant Reese's peanut butter cup without having to turn on the oven. 
at the end of every chapter, we throw it together in this amazing party scene. So we give you two fun DIYs that are designed to elevate the bakes and the sweets to the next level and then show you some suggestions and ideas for really throwing the ultimate entertaining event. My motto's always been, like, Martha Stewart's fantastic and she does amazing things, but we don't all have the time to be mini Martha Stewart's. A lot of us are busy. I have two kids. I am a busy, busy mom, but I still want to make it look like I worked all week on that party. So the thing that makes us very different is that everything we make is creative and over the top, but it's achievable and it's accessible in a way that really hasn't been showcased in the past. I think that's been part of what's made the My Cupcake Addiction brand so successful. Yeah, you just made me think, okay, well, maybe I could actually cook something out of your book because I, I can make, like, muffins. <laughs> but I, I uh, you know, uh, Jewish girls, we have a whole thing about we make reservations, not uh, <laughs> recipes. But anyway, um, and so you, you brought your family out here and you're exploring all sorts of new opportunities. Now, uh, in terms of YouTube and Facebook, uh, have a lot of your revenue opportunities come off of working with brands on those platforms? They have. So YouTube obviously has its own revenue strategy. Um, and, you know, we're one of the most viewed baking or food channels on, on that platform. So that's definitely a good stream of revenue for us. We're in a partnership at the moment with Nestle. So, you know, we do have some big brand opportunities that have come our way. Kit Kat in Australia is another one that we just did a great partnership with. I think when you develop an audience of you know nine million odd people in a in a single demographic and a very targeted field or a niche field there's always opportunity to uh to partner with brands that are looking to reach that same audience now having not come from working with advertisers and brands before was it a difficult adjustment or did it just seem like they get who i am so here we go I think as the market evolves, advertisers and brands have stopped looking at influencers like me as a person they can hire to read a script. And they've started realizing that really the reason that they're hiring and the best value that they can get from content creators is the fact that we know what works best on these platforms. So letting us be creative and letting us tell their story in our words it's not only easier for everyone involved, it just results in a better campaign. I'm by no means a, uh, from a, a marketing or an advertising background, but I also have a great team in place. So I have a brand manager and I also have an agency that helps represent me in those conversations. So you've really become an enterprise um, in many ways. Very much. I think in anything that you do, you have to understand what your strengths and weaknesses are. And you know, I am very, very strong when it comes to the kitchen. I am a strong businesswoman, but I am definitely one to know when it's time to bring on some help in certain areas to make sure that, you know, my business is operating in the, the best way possible. Now, is your audience following you from the YouTube world to the broadcast world? You mentioned the Food Network. Are you, are you going to the big screen soon? Although it's hard to say it like that because now everything is all connected and everything is big screen if, if you want it to be. But just this concept of traditional broadcast, are you making that crossover now? I think one thing that a lot of YouTubers find very difficult is the crossover to platforms that are kind of owned by the older demographic. So YouTube is, I mean, it's inherently a very young audience. You know, the 13 to 17-year-olds, they run that platform. We have one of the oldest demographics on YouTube. We have a very sort of, I mean, I'm a, I'm a mom, I'm 32, and, and I am my audience. On Facebook, a lot of people on YouTube actually find it very hard to make that transition into Facebook because Facebook's just not driven by those those young kids and a lot of them I mean the parents don't really want them on Facebook anymore so they're all they're all snapchatting and they're all vining and doing all of those other things in terms of coming across to traditional 
books, you know, YouTube fans and followers, having watched digital creators for so long, they've never been able to own a piece of their favorite creators before. So as YouTubers and digital stars and digital celebrities start making physical pieces of themselves I think that there's a very there's a very real desire from the audience to actually have that something on the shelves and as much as recipes online are fantastic sometimes it's nice not to have to go and print it out off the internet every time you want to make that vanilla cake maybe you just want it in a book you can tell you know I can tell my grandma what I do till I'm blue in the face but until she's got my book she's still going to have absolutely no idea I think with uh, with traditional tv again it is a challenge but with everything that we do we make sure that we tailor the content that we put on that platform for the audience that we know is already there and certainly we we anticipate our audience will follow us over but it's about finding new audience as well you know there are people that have never found us online and they're still watching tv buying magazines and buying books so i, I wanted to be uh, wherever you look you can find a little bit of elise strawn and my cupcake addiction I love that. So um, in terms of new platforms, because obviously now we have Periscope, we have Facebook Live, we have Snapchat. Are you guys constantly, is your team looking at, okay, we should start creating for this platform too? I mean, when do you start to say, okay, we're not doing another platform? I think at the moment, you know, we are, we're investigating what we would do on Snapchat and we're trying to work out the best possible scenario. When we started, the biggest mistake that we made was thinking that purely making a YouTube video, feeding it to Facebook, feeding it to Instagram, sticking up a photo of it was what people wanted to see. There's no point in people following you on three different platforms if they're getting the same thing everywhere. So with all of those platforms, we found a very distinct voice. And with any new platform, we need to find a way to give our audience something different. It can't just be the same thing they just saw on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, and, uh, and Instagram. Now, what you're kind of famous for, at least in my world of, of this, and I'm definitely older than um, your, demo, your, your prime demographic, but are these cakes that you make that are like bars? So were you doing those just like in your life before this all started? <laughs> when I was seven, I was making giant Twix bars. No, no, I wasn't. <laughs> no, I didn't realize that my calling in life was to be able to make an M&M the side of my, size of my head. But there you go. There you go. Such a gift. I know, it really is. There are worse things to be known for. <laughs> um, look, I think the giant size candy bars, you know, again, listening to our audience is an incredibly powerful thing. So we did, I think the first one was a giant Twix bar. And it sounds super super tough but you've got a, a loaf tin you've got some shortbread cookies we used caramel chews and microwave them down with some chocolate it was three ingredients super easy to layer you pop it out you coat it in chocolate there is something about seeing your favorite candy bars in either tiny or giant that people just love so certainly i love the idea of the giant candy bars but the world loves them we don't have one that's less than a million views you know many of them are multi-millions of views so there's a little bit of i want to make them and they're a lot of fun to make but there's also you know there's strategy behind it people want to watch it and the more people that want to watch it the more people get their eyes across my content oh, that's so smart and twix is obviously here on the vidcon floor sponsoring i think the gaming area i'm not oh, i'm not sure are they um giving away twixes because i mean i will go down there if i need to yeah you know there is there is an area on the ground floor where the community floor where they are giving away candy bars all right i'm gonna have to go down and check that out because it's we're getting towards that time in the afternoon where a little something something would be nice yeah but they're not as beautiful as what you make though i, I just have to say well thank you and look i do think that you know it's about putting our own twist on things i've got a video coming out later this week that will be a giant m&m but 
nobody wants to eat this huge M&M that's full of solid chocolate. So we made it with cake and then we hid M&Ms in the middle of it. And you can still eat it like a huge M&M, but it, it is about making things that you can share, that you can wow people with, and then you can kind of slice and divide in a way that works. Now, is there still a, a retail store in your, in your business? No, there's not. There's actually never been a bricks and mortar store in my business. So I used to have a, a little market stall and I used to set up and, and pack down every every Wednesday night and every Friday night. We looked at opening a store and I think probably one of the best decisions that we made initially was not. We understood or I understood that the things that I made were fantastic, but in an actual bricks and mortar sense, the area that I was making them just didn't have the traffic flow to be able to, you know, how many cupcakes have you got to make to keep the doors open in an area that's, you know, primarily tourist. So I think not opening a bricks and mortar store was always just something that we had never considered. I don't think initially, you know, we had never thought about digital being what it is now. If you had have told me five years ago that this is what I would be doing with my life, I wouldn't have believed you. But it's been an incredibly exciting roller coaster ride to be a part of. And Certainly starting when we did has enabled us to, to rise to be one of the top creators in our fields in, in present time. Well, now, um, VidCon announced that they're opening up a VidCon in Australia. I wonder if that's because of you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Australia actually has some amazing YouTube talent. We have some of the top YouTubers in the world that have come out of Australia. And I think there are a lot of places, you know, Canada's another place that has so many great top creators. Whether or not it's that, like, our mums and dads tell us we can do whatever we want to do or be whatever we want to be, there's a, there, there is a really, really great talent pool of YouTubers in Australia. Well, one, one last question for you, just because the tremendous community, it, it, there's a tremendous community on YouTube, and I'm always hearing from the creators how they love working with each other. And obviously being invited to VidCon as, as a creator, as a top creator, is a big deal. So what, what has that been like for you? It's always really exciting to be able to be in a room with people that do what you do. You know, as much as it, at an event like this, it feels like YouTubers and digital creators are a dime a dozen. Really, we're pretty few and far between, and it's a very new industry. So it's awesome to be able to sit down with people that do what you do and understand the struggles that you go through because the struggles and the the pitfalls and the experiences of people that are on digital platforms, they're very new. They're still being sorted out. You know, things like online bullying, things like trolling, things like brand integrations it's very new it hasn't been done before so we're all breaking new ground and events like this they enable us to get together and really learn from each other talk to each other and make friends that have this huge common thread between us it's a lot of fun to be a part of that's so great so can you can you tell us where you're, uh, where we can find you, how often you're publishing, just all your social feeds? Absolutely. You can find me on YouTube at My Cupcake Addiction for two new longer form videos every week. On Facebook at My Cupcake Addiction for the coolest, most viral, amazing, sweet and baking ideas and the occasional live stream. My cookbook's available at mycupcakeaddiction.com forward slash cookbook. My website is mycupcakeaddiction.com. My Twitter is cupcakeaddictau. And my Instagram is mycupcakeaddiction. I'm pretty sure that's a decent laundry list of places. <laughs> if you just if you Google My Cupcake Addiction, you will definitely find us pretty much everywhere. Well, Elistron, thank you so much. My Cupcake Addiction. And I am so hungry right now. I'm sure that happens to everybody that talks to you. Thank you so much. And good luck with everything. And again, the book is called Sweet Celebrations. Sweet Celebrations. And it's available for pre-sale now. Absolutely. Thank you. What are you baking tonight? I'm baking nothing tonight, but I believe you and I are going downstairs to hit up this Twix giveaway that you've just told me about. That's awesome. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me.
we are jumping into a great conversation with Rob Altman, who is the senior manager for Canon Camera Marketing. Yes. And we're going to talk a little bit about what Canon's doing here. Canon has a tremendous uh, presence here at VidCon, a great booth, and lots of um, different areas where you're doing a lot of interesting things. And uh, your booths are always really busy. So I'd love to hear, like, why are you guys at VidCon? Well, we're at VidCon because the creators are at VidCon, and our products are designed for creators of all levels. And you've seen that we have actually two distinct areas, one on the creator level where we've got some of our higher-end, more sophisticated products like our Cinema EOS, in addition to all of our DSLRs and other cameras. And then downstairs for the community, we're really trying to engage with the younger uh, creators and fans of online video who might be seeking to upgrade their game and to step up and to start to express their creativity. And we're showcasing our SLRs and our PowerShot cameras, including our new line of video creator kits. So do you think most of these guys know about the equipment or are they just trying to get something that's easiest to use? And how do you sort of bridge the gap between that sort of, I've been doing this a while with like whatever camera I had, I'm ready to go deeper? I think it's a little bit of everything. You know, we'll see people who who know they like video and have no idea what to do and how to get started. But then I'm, we're blown away by younger uh, creators, some as young as 7, 8, 9, and 10, who are asking really sophisticated questions and know all about cameras and settings and lenses and things. So it really, it really spans the, a very wide range, and that's what's exciting about a show like this is to see creativity amongst such a wide audience and, and amongst the future generation, which is so important today that they have the ability to express themselves and there are tools that are simple to use that they can make really high quality professional looking content that rivals what you see coming out of studios and, and higher end production companies this seems to me to follow that trend of the democratization of tools and content in general and usually when I see Canon I'm at the Consumer Electronics Show or at the National Association of Broadcasters and you have these insane, beautiful, gorgeous booths with beautiful cameras. You're the only camera company here. Um, so how did you make that decision to dive into VidCon? This is the third year we've been here. And uh, admittedly, the first year we came, we, we really were a fish out of water. We didn't know what to expect. We, showed, we, you know, we came just to do a little bit of research, um, wanted to learn about the market. And we set up a booth that was not as elaborate as what you've seen at CES or NAB, but very kind of dry with our product counters, very traditional and it was, quite frankly, a big miss. But we learned that we really needed to engage much more in the way that this audience works and to have a more exciting booth, more colorful booth, more activity. And that's what we brought the last two years when we've had a bigger presence on the consumer floor. Um, but again, it goes back to this is where the creators are. This is where our consumers and, our, and, our, and our, uh, the users of our equipment are, and that's why we want to be here. Um, but we've learned a lot. Every year we're making you know, adjustments and it's a huge opportunity for us. It's a huge opportunity for the segment when you look at the growth of online video and online content as well. It's not just about video. We're also showcasing some of our still cameras as well as some of our printing technology, which has been very popular this year. Um, it's, it's just important to be here for this audience. And why do you think the printing tech is so popular this year? I think as there are, as we know, more and more images captured now than at any time in history. Um, and people are still looking for something tangible to save a photo, to create that memory. And printing is still a physical, tangible proof that that photo happens. And we're showcasing um, some of our very simple printers where you can make a print and then um, with some unique technology, kind of stick it up on a wall. And it's, it's another way of sharing. You know, obviously you can share video and images to millions of people instantaneously online. And that's a great experience and it's an important experience. But if you want to capture and save a memory and have something that's more meaningful, you know, it's got to be a physical print. Um, and we're seeing that as people take more and more images. There are some images they want 
to preserve and that they want to um, elevate and have more have a more special place in their life. And that's what printing allows you to do. So it's very interesting to me, too, because I know that uh, some other camera companies are struggling in this era of the iPhone and of Instagram and all that. So what, what are you guys doing? How are you looking at that? There's no question it's a challenge, and smartphones have um, you know, really exploded, and, and image and still and video are, you know, most of it's captured on phones. Um, but there's no substitute for a high-quality camera where you can control the settings be creative and some of the technologies and our newer ca- most of our newer cameras now have Wi-Fi capability have NFC capability so you can get those great photos that you want from a traditional camera that are going to be more meaningful transoms your phone and upload them to everybody and in a world with millions and millions of images if you want it to stand out you want a great quality photo you want to be able to control the creative settings and that's what a real camera will allow you to do and now with the connectivity of Wi-Fi and NFC it's easier to have that experience the great photography and, and video that can also be shared instantaneously with everybody. And so can you tell me a little bit about the video creator kit, which is created especially for this audience? Yes. Yeah, so last year at VidCon, actually, we launched the first wave of our video creator kits, which were focused around our Rebel um, and 70D line of cameras, where we took a camera, we added a Rode microphone and some memory, so that you could just get started right out of the box. You would have a great camera, a lens, and a microphone, so you could easily go out and shoot and upload your images, trying to give it like a one-stop shop for all that, um, everything you need to really get started, whatever you're looking to do, whether it's vlogging or travel um, or any kind of series. And this year we have our new ADD video, EOS ADD Video Creator Kit, where we've added our new power zoom adapter for our lens, which is a real breakthrough in that it's a little attachment you put on the lens, allows you to zoom electronically the way you're used to doing with a traditional camcorder. So that's just going to add another level of production quality and simplicity and how you can focus and zoom in and out. Um, and it's just really, you want to get started in video creation? Here's all you need right out of the box. You can turn it on, start shooting, start uploading, and start sharing. Did you have to think about pricing when you put something like this together? Because I do see a lot of tweens on the floor with parents. And, I, and obviously they're coming up to your booth because the tween is so interested in, in getting into this world. So did you guys look at that and say, okay, for this demographic, we have to figure out how we're going to get them to jump in? You know, we're always concerned about providing value to whoever our customers are, and it's not necessarily about a price. It's what you're getting for that price. And the creators that are here you know, are willing, if they want to up their game and if they want to be successful, they're willing to invest in that. And you know, we certainly feel like we give a good value with those creator kits and all of our products. But at the same time, they're willing to make an investment in higher ends and more powerful equipment. And we've, we've seen them be uh, quite successful with that. Gia, maybe you can actually help me take a good picture. So <laughs> I'm always getting yelled at by my family. You missed my this or that. Um, what about, um, I know that you guys are also starting to explore, you know, uh, shows, content around uh, photography. So is that also sort of a plan in the back there that you'll be becoming a little bit of a media company? I mean, I've noticed some influencers and some other folks that you're partnering with. Well, we've worked with influence, if you call them influencers, for, you know, decades. Um, Before they were influencers in this world. Yeah, you're absolutely right. But we've always aligned ourselves with artists and creators, whether it's our Explorers of Light program, which goes back about 20 years, which are some of the top photographers in the world that are all Canon shooters. 
And it's very organic for us. You know, we look to align ourselves with people who have chosen to use our equipment for whatever the, that project might be. It might be, again, photography, it might be video, it might be a Hollywood blockbuster movie with our cinema equipment or, or SLRs and lenses. Um, so for us, it's just a way to, you know, show people what creators are doing at all different levels. Um, and definitely with some of the online creators that we have appearing in our booth this year, Everybody from Anna Akana, who's a very successful YouTube star, to Bertie Gregory, who we're excited to work with. He actually just shot the first um, fully online digital video series for Nat Geo Wild. He's a young creator. He's been out shooting wildlife for a number of years, and he's got a new series on Nat Geo. So it's everything from those big um, productions backed by big multimedia companies like a Nat Geo to the independent YouTube creator who's just getting started, all using Canon equipment. And that's the one thing with Canon. You know, our products really span the range, everything from beginner to high-end, to as high-end as you can get in the professional space. My last question for you just is, is education a big part of this? Because, uh, again, I have a, you know, I do have a, a mirrorless camera, but it's like bottom of the line just because I, overly complex freaks me out. <laughs> Even though I'm a technology catalyst, I have to keep things simple. So what, 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 how do you guys help your users get jump in? We have a number of um, educational initiatives, and education has always been very important to Canon. Um, first of all, online, we have a tremendous amount of free content on our Canon Digital Learning Center, which is at usa.canon.com slash learning. And we also actually, just a couple of weeks ago, launched some new paid online courses through our Canon Direct online store, where for as little as $19.99 or $29.99, you can sign up for various classes. Right now, they're mostly about photography. They're going to be expanding. Um, and then we also do a lot of live content. We have our Canon Live Learning, um, which goes around and does various events around the country. We have Canon Destination Workshops, which are also more about photography, where we go to different locations, everything from national parks to other uh, you know, natural environments to car shows and things like that, where you can pay and for three or four days you know, learn from professionals. We have the sports photography workshop as well. And then we have a number of uh, facilities. Um, the best example of that is one that's right down the road here in Costa Mesa, our Canon Experience Center, where we have a showroom. There's a number of classrooms. There's a studio there. And we have all kinds of programming. Again, some paid, some free. We bring in members of the community. A lot of schools come in and we'll do different photography and other imaging classes. So for us, it's really important that we're educating people um, so that they can get the most out of their equipment and they can grow creatively and move up and, and progress through whatever it is that they want to achieve. It's so impressive all the different things that you guys are doing, taking a brand that we all know so well and really moving it into the modern era when we've seen so many brands get disrupted you know, out of their business category and you guys are being so smart. I love the guy walking around with the, the, you know, the monitor. Can you tell us a little bit about that? I think that's such a great execution. Yeah, we, well, we wanted to engage with all the fans here. So we have an activation downstairs on the community level where we're inviting the attendees to film a little 30-second video of why they want to be the next online star and to showcase the talent. Some of them have been juggling. We saw a few kids doing backflips or telling jokes and comedy skits. Um, so we have these roving, uh, I guess you call them, crew, where they've got a camera. It's a Rebel T6i. It's actually the video creator kit. And it's hooked up to a monitor that they're wearing on a backpack so everybody can see what they're doing. Um, so when they film the video, then they can upload it through their Instagram account and then enter into the contest. And the prize actually is a camera as well as a trip to that Canon Experience Center where they'll get to interact with a YouTube star from whatever it is, the genre that they're most interested in, and get some direct one-on-one -on -one education. So it's been very exciting and to see the number of 
attendees taking advantage of that and, and really jumping right in and showcasing their talent and showing a real passion for creativity, which is so exciting for us. It's a company that really believes in that and wants to support the community. I love that you're engaging Gen Z now. It's so it's so smart for, for as a brand to do that. So where can we find out more about everything you guys are doing? Um, well, our website, of course, usa.canon.com. Of course, we're also on social media like everybody else. We have Facebook on Twitter. It's at, U- at Canon USA Imaging or at Canon USA Pro, which is our higher end, more professional handles. And there's a ton of great content there. Um, on photography, on videography. Of course, we also have a YouTube channel at YouTube backslash Canon USA where there's a ton of educational content as well as inspirational content and things that have been produced by various creators. Well, Rob Altman, it has been such a pleasure to talk to you and I'm blown away by just how smart you guys are being about really providing new tools and taking your brand and moving it forward in, in a smart way. It's so great to hear. It's, it's comforting somehow because, you know, so, so many of us grew up with Canon and we don't want you to go away. <laughs> well, we don't want to go away. We're not going away. And, and I'm glad you were able to make it out to VidCon and appreciate the time. Thanks. It's been great. Thank you so much. Thank you. So excited to be interviewing one of the top YouTube content creators at VidCon today, and also just one of the top YouTube content creators in in general, Joey Graceffa, who is sporting some fantastic green hair today. (laughs) And he is here to promote his new show on YouTube Red. YouTube Red is one of the big sponsors at VidCon. So how are you doing, Joey? Tell us about what you're doing here at VidCon. Uh, good, yeah. Like you said, I have my new show out. So I uh, yesterday did a uh, like live Q and A and a screening of the first episode, which was really cool because I got to see like a live reaction from the audience of like how they thought of the show, um, and it had a really great positive response. Not only live but also online. It has great reviews in the comments, I guess. Um, and it was, I mean, just fun to make and. Uh, I got to play make-believe with a bunch of my YouTube friends and just, like, uh, get thrown into this murder mystery setting, like, Clue meets Survivor. So it was a lot of, like, um, like challenging, like, solving clues and, um, I don't know, just hang out with my friends. And it was so fun to film. Now, have you done scripted work before? Um, you know, give a little history to my audience, because how long have you been a YouTube content creator? I've been making YouTube videos for over nine years, um, and I mean, it was all just like home movies, and it wasn't until like the past like three years that I've really gotten into like more scripted stuff. Um, I started with my web series Storytellers, which now has a second season that works with Legendary, um, which is so exciting, Um, and now this YouTube Red Show, which is the murder mystery with YouTubers. which isn't actually scripted. It's part scripted and part reality. The reality part is with the um, the YouTubers, and the scripted is just kind of uh, guiding the the content. Exactly. I'm so glad that you understand. Yes, of course. I okay. used to do improv and uh, and all. Okay. So, um, you're st- are you still posting regularly to your original channel? How does that all work? Yeah. Um, so I post. I try to post every single day. Uh, video a variety of different things. Like I'll, I'll do vlogs, I'll do challenges, I'll do music videos, short films. Um, I kind of don't hold myself to one style of video just because I don't want to get bored and I also like just making it 
uh, exciting and different every day for my audience. Um, so you never really know what you're going to get each day, which is fun. And how many subscribers do you have right now? Um, I have over 6 million on my main channel and like over a million and a half on my gaming. So when you started doing all of this, did you think, oh my God, this is going to be my life? Or when did it, when did it really hit for you that I'm going to make a living doing this? So I had been doing YouTube in high school and it was just kind of just like a fun thing to do. It, you didn't even make money at that point. It wasn't acquired by Google. It was just YouTube. And so it didn't become my job until I decided to make the like move from a town outside of Boston, driving cross-country to L.A. with like $5,000 in my bank account to just try and survive the rest of my life out there. Um, and... I just was like, all right, I'm going to go full force with YouTube and hopefully it works out. And of course, it kind of has. Yeah. <laughs> now, I know you're taking your fan base and your Joey IP out to other areas. So you just wrote a book, right? And that just came out. What's that book called? Uh, that book's called In Real Life. It's uh, kind of like a memoir type thing. Just I have a, a very young demographic and I thought it was very important that I talk about my upbringing and how I dealt with um, an alcoholic mother and growing up with a learning disability and then finally coming to terms with my sexuality and I, um, I came out that year of the book release and so it was really just getting my story out there to my teen audience that is probably going through a lot of these similar situations and when I was growing up I definitely had no one to compare my life to. Um, it felt like I was the only one uh, in the world that had these problems so I wanted to make sure that I got to be that person for a lot of people. Right, so an influencer who's getting the message out that you can be who you are, yeah. which is very clear in a lot of your work, and also to feel good about whoever you are. Exactly. Which is, now, you're also starting a jewelry line, which yeah. I just love. So how did that all happen? So I am obsessed with crystals. Um, I just love the way they look. I love the way they make me feel and the energies. They each have different properties. Like, rose quartz really brings in a lot of, like, love, not just, like, love from other people but self-love and so I just love learning about the different meanings so I had acquired like a few jewelry pieces of crystal jewelry um and I was like I got a lot of comments when I would wear it and be like oh like where'd you get that and then I was like you know what it would be so cool if I made my own crystal jewelry and so I started like designing like ideas that I had taking inspiration from things I saw online and I love crystals and I love wolves so I called it crystal wolf um, and it's doing really well and I'm so happy and I can't wait to make more oh God, that's so interesting so you can basically take your sort of aesthetic which is about empowering you know your generation and bring it to a lot of different products I mean do you see yourself expanding into other content opportunities as well uh, like what kind of content well it could be I don't know um, furniture <laughs> I just mean like any other IP. You know, definitely for sure. Like I, uh, as long as it like goes with like my brand and what I believe in, then absolutely. Um, I think it just works out because my audience is like mostly like teen girls and teen girls like jewelry and I love crystals. So it kind of just like, if it's something that matches with my audience, matches with me, then yes. 
Now, are you aware, as as a creator with your six million, are you aware of what they want from you, and are you continuously growing and developing that audience, or are you more just focused on staying true to like your ideas? How much of their input is impacting the content that you're creating? Um, I am aware of the stuff that they like, um, but I'm always surprised. Like sometimes I'll post something that I'm not sure is something that they'll like and it might be something that they like even more. So it's really just like exploring and finding different fun things to try out. And since I post so much, like if a video doesn't do as well, it gets buried and it gets like the next day it can be something totally different that they do like. So, you know, it's just finding a good balance of making sure that I'm happy and my audience is happy, which hasn't been an issue. I think because I still have like a very teen like soul to me so it doesn't feel like I'm trying too hard are you one of the those creators that is constantly analyzing the numbers of your videos and the stats and you know checking the YouTube analytics or are you more organic about it just really seeing you know who's looking at it and moving on to the next one yeah I don't really I don't get too in depth with that like finding like uh, which videos like do better at certain points of the day and all that stuff like that's just too much like I guess mostly just focus on like the types of videos that I'm posting and like if this type of video like say it's like a DIY if that does better than just a like story time or like me just vlogging around with my camera um so I guess I just find out that way but I mean it's always fun to like look at numbers and see what's going on but I mean it can be fun some days and some days you're like really upset because I just kind of try to keep a very good balance to make sure that I'm not getting too obsessed with that stuff. And just do, doing the work. Now, a lot of the YouTube model is based on working with brands and advertisers and, and having them work organically with you. Are you doing a lot of that kind of work? Yeah, for sure. Um, and it's so crazy. I'm actually... I do a lot of work with this app called Best Fiends and they actually um, approached me to do this like advertisement on my channel and I was like, "Mm, okay, let me check out this game and that day I checked it out and I became so addicted. So I was obsessed with this game before I even like had to like promote it and I was like super excited the fact that I got to work with a company that I genuinely loved and then they came back and wanted to do another one with me and now I'm in a commercial with them so it's so crazy how this relationship has grown and I genuinely love this app (laughs) like I'm so happy that I get to be a part of it so do you do you think that your future holds a lot more brand integrations and working with brands and agencies and and businesses? Definitely. And I've noticed like a big increase in just this past year of the brands that are coming to YouTube, um, which is so smart of them just because like uh, as a YouTuber, we have such a great connection with our audience and they listen to us like they almost see us as like their older brother or older sister and want to know like what's cool what's fun and they kind of like trust us to give them the right stuff because we have that like relationship with them it's kind of like if your friend were to tell you oh my god you have to check this out like that's what we kind of are to our audience um as opposed to just seeing like a commercial of some stranger selling you something youtubers have a much stronger pull 
And in terms of other social platforms, are you always posting whatever you do on every other platform? Um, yeah, I guess. I mean, Instagram is more like a once in a while, like once a day type thing. Whereas Twitter is multiple times keeping up with what I'm doing, what I uh, want to promote, what my video is of the day. Facebook is just if I see like an interesting video online or if I'm posting about myself. And then YouTube is just me posting my daily like videos. It's so much to keep up with all the different platforms, too. Have you explored Snapchat as well? Absolutely not. I can't deal with any more Snapchat. I mean, Snapchat is basically what I already do, but I get paid for it. So, right, right. Right. so you're, you're sticking with YouTube. YouTube has been good to you and, you, and you know that format. Where can everybody find you who, who doesn't, if there's a few people out there who don't know who you are? Um, just my name. Just Joey Gersefa, uh is my handle everywhere. And I'm looking forward to your jewelry line and, um, and to other work that you're doing. And one last question. Do you think there is going to be a fully scripted movie or series in your future? Uh, I really, really hope so. I have so many ideas in my head, and I love like the idea of making my own movie and just getting to create a whole like cool, crazy world. Fantastic. And one last question. Um, how did you do your nails? <laughs> uh, okay, so I love iridescent, so I went to a nail salon and got them done. He is, uh, because we're on audio, I just have to tell you, he is he is sporting the most incredible nails. They have crystals on top of them. Yeah. I've never seen anything like it before. <laughs> it's so awesome. Thank you so much, Joey. We have been broadcasting from VidCon 2016 with one of the top creators here today, Joey Graceffa, and we're looking forward to his show um, on YouTube Red, which is called again... Escape the Night. Escape the Night, and of course, all the great work that you're constantly putting up on your channels. And brands and businesses are, are, ge are generally jumping on board now because they understand you have the eyes and the ears of a fantastic large audience. So great to talk to you. Lori H. Schwartz, the tech cat here. More later. I am interviewing an old friend. I mean, he's not old. We've just known each other a long time. But Don Wilcox, who is the Vice President of Marketing and Services at PBS Digital. And he, he is here with a, a fabulous, a fabulous uh, marketing experience on the floor here where the kids are actually making that green goop that you'll tell us all about. But, and PBS has had a, a presence at VidCon for the last few years. So tell us what you're doing here, Don. Well, so we launched PBS Digital Studios about four years ago uh, with the goal of making PBS relevant to the millennial generation and younger. And um, as we looked at where, we, where, where it made sense to go in terms of field marketing and events, people brought up things like the New Fronts and, and other venues, and it just felt like the right place for us to be was with the fans because it's all about the fans and we're not a commercial enterprise that is advertising driven and so we've been here and um, kind of grown our presence over the years and we, we try and uh, bring the same sort of um, interesting experimentation and activities um, from our shows to the actual chill lounge that we're sponsoring so we've got a big um, table where you can create your own DIY slime which has been a r ridiculous hit it's amazing it's really hard to clean up in the, at the end of the day though um, might not do that again and which show uh, which show features slime 
The slime was uh, featured in Physics Girl, I believe. And then we also have a corner dedicated to our show, The Art Assignment. And they're doing two, um, two different activities. One is to, uh, a, a, an activity around creating a fake flyer. And the other is called A Copy of a Copy of a Copy. And it's about the transformative nature of art and taking a, a photocopy of a book page or, or a piece of art and then um, altering it with your own artistic expression and then maybe blowing it up or reducing it or doing other things. So so that's a corner. And then the, the third corner is a storytelling corner where we have story dice, oversized story dice, and, a, and a, a kind of a Wheel of Fortune style wheel that helps you sort of figure out the premise of your story, like the subject. Does somebody have to die? Does somebody get born? You're like, what happens there? And you can either write it or Snapchat it or record a podcast. And so we're um, sort of helping creative folks find their their muse and and tell interesting stories and um i think that's a lot of fun i I mean your booth is well it's a big big area it's always packed with kids so you've been to vidcon for a few years now what are you noticing has happened here over the last few years well it's definitely gotten bigger i feel like the, the the space they're taking up this year might be almost double what it was last year so it's been a pretty tremendous growth just in terms of overall size and, and attendance but also there's been a huge influx of brands so you know all kinds of commercial brands candy companies um car companies um pretty much all the media companies are here some that you wouldn't necessarily expect that don't typically skew millennial um so it's starting to feel a little like son of comic-con in a way where the original um premise of the the event is being sort of uh taken over a little bit by commercial interests although i do s- say that it still ha- very much has its soul intact it's very much a, a community and creator driven event and that's nice to see yeah all the um brand experiences that you're talking about at every booth there is something for the kids to do yeah. at those booths and what i really actually love about this one is that they're mostly geared towards self-expression which is what YouTube is really all about. And so there's been some, I've been snapping photos for inspiration for my team because there are some really clever uh, ways they're letting kids, you know, interact with their brand and their assets and and do it in a way that's really fun and and, uh, they can make it their own. Yeah, I had a whole conversation with Canon about what they're doing and they're walking around with those portable screens on their back and just asking folks to do something fun, like a talent, and then Instagramming it. And then printing it on a Canon printer. So these are, are great examples. Yeah. The other thing that I find just fascinating about VidCon in general is the way as you're walking the floor, you see the attendees actually filming themselves walking the floor. And it's such a self-documenting community that that is, you know, the, the whole idea of the these different activations with brands makes such sense for these folks who like to live on camera all the time. So it's just one more way for them to kind of record their their lives. Yeah. Now, um, what what um in, in terms of PBS Digital, because you know I've talked about this that I lived on PBS for the last six years with my six year old. What happens next, like demographically? Like, do you age with my six year old? Like, what happens? Well, you know, Digital Studio specifically was kind of. Um, built to reach an audience we weren't reaching on air. So in, in broadcast, we have a, a strong foothold in early childhood education, as you've experienced. And then we have a very loyal older adult demographic. And there's a, a swath of 
you know, a couple decades there where we kind of fall off people's radar. So we've been really gratified that we've been able to connect with millennials on YouTube and we're continuing to explore Facebook and Snapchat and all different kinds of uh, platforms. And so I think we're going to find different audiences there. And what is great about PBS is that we don't view any of these as cannibalizing. We, we realize that more is more and that every new platform we embrace just grows our audience and diversifies our audience and probably reaches a new age range. So I think we do know, we see it, that kids are increasingly going to YouTube for content and we want to experiment there and we've started conversations about what that looks like to skew down because digital studios really hits 18 to 34 um, primarily a little bit younger and a little bit older but that's kind of the sweet spot so we've we and our broadcast audience I think ends around 8 to 10 and so we do have a, a middle there where we could serve and kind of bridge further. So I think we'll, we'll continue to experiment there. And then also just by nature of getting on Snapchat and starting to experiment there, that skews younger. We're getting into Gen Z territory. So I think we'll, we'll continue to try and find the audiences where they are. Um, and what, what are you doing for like six and a half birthday, October 19th, <laughs> 2009 <laughs> forward? What are you doing for them? Well, um... Uh, you don't have to answer that now. <laughs> we'll talk about it. We'll talk about it later. Uh, of the of the different platforms, what are you the most intrigued by? Because you, you and I were just talking about one of the booths here that's been so packed is the lively and musicali booth where uh, different folks have been coming up, and there's been like screaming girls there, you know, every few minutes. So, uh, of the stuff that you have seen here, is there anything that any platform or anything you've been particularly intrigued by? Well, I, I don't know that there's a specific platform, but there are two, two kind of trends that are maybe obvious, but I'll say them anyway. One is live in general. It's been interesting as a you know, broadcast person to see the durability of live programming when everything else is time shifting. You know, increasingly, networks realize live is a place where they can still have event programming. And I think that's interesting, but then coupled with the whole YouTube culture of authentic, independent voices... The live is a, a level of unfilteredness that I think really resonates with that audience. So I think there's an interesting place for live. It's definitely early days and we're figuring it out, but I'm excited by that. And, you know, with the, the rollout of YouTube Live, which frankly emulates Facebook Live to a large extent. And Periscope. And Periscope. Yeah, these are, you know, we're, we're seeing a proliferation of live platforms. So I, I do think we'll see more there. The other one that I haven't really seen so much here, but Digital Studios is interested in exploring is VR, which is among certain circles a big hot buzzword and we're we're in early days there and, and just dabbling in it we're not going all in or going long form it's more about you know how can we give vr equipment to our existing creators and see what they're inspired to do and it's it, it's just an experiment and we want to see how that unfolds but it feels like an interesting place for pbs to be because it can create moments of wonder and our brand is all about experiencing new worlds and new ideas and going to places you never could in real life so uh, i think we do want to lean into that have you noticed that um i mean i was telling you earlier about um, I, I was watching an influencer at the Canon booth showing a Nat Geo show um, with a 23 year old who's like throwing himself into the wild and things like that so are you guys also looking at programming solutions where you're using influencers as well as the leads in these more traditional types of series well for us 
our creators, we, we go after people who have subject matter expertise, who have a passion for the content. They're not necessarily a typical, uh, kind of a, a typical YouTuber who is a personality for personality's sake or in it for fame or fortune. They're really more mission driven. And that's been our secret ingredient really is that we get people, you know, MIT grads talking about physics because they love to do it and doing incredibly creative kitchen experiments you know and that makes it accessible and fun so we don't really and i'm frankly not a believer in the influencer um, industry i think it's going to collapse under its own weight i think that the shill like behavior that we're seeing and the mistakes that are being made lately where you know quote unquote influencers are posting the instructions from their client into their instagram feed i mean that's really destroying credibility and i and i think this audience is pretty savvy and probably not really that interested in it and what was in what i found really interesting is we recently did a survey of our viewers we got about forty thousand responses which is a pretty good take rate and they overwhelmingly expressed a, an appreciation for our type of sponsorship which is very light touch versus the branded stuff um or the you know the sort of um brand integration or, or actual endorsement type stuff so like the, the sort of old cold gate hour where you mention it at the top yeah, more like this episode is brought to you by, and then maybe a, a, a host read at the end, but no no making a brand the hero of the story, um, which I heard, you know, endlessly in my commercial life. Um, so it's refreshing to not have to do that. Um, there's no shame in this game. <laughs> that feels pretty good. Um, I can say in my past life, I did things I'm not proud of. Um, uh, that is no longer the case. So, yeah. and that's, do, you, do you feel guilty about those moments in your life? I feel like I've had a karmic cleansing. I feel I'm at peace. I, I also feel like uh, the infrastructure on the side of the business that we live on is not set up for a brand and a production company to work together. And even though there have been very various incarnations of that and there are some successful businesses and companies and people it's still not a natural fit yeah i i just see worlds colliding when i when i witness my friends who are still in the commercial side um brands wanting to be content people they're they just don't have often any business doing that it just really makes no sense just different worlds. Well, I know you have another interview to, to go to, so um, I want to thank you so much for talking to us. Don Wilcox from PBS Digital, who is changing the world uh, one PBS show <laughs> at a time. <laughs> Anything that's coming up on PBS that we should check out? Um, I Well, nothing specific to mention, but I will say we're dabbling in Facebook. We're going to have some new Facebook series coming out, and we also are putting taking one of our shows on the road to a very exotic location for some really interesting science. But um, more to come on that. What does it rhyme with? Well, the show is It's Okay to Be Smart, and that's as much as you're getting out of me today. <laughs> I'd have to get some drinks on them. All right, thank you so much, Tom. Thanks so much for listening to the Tech Cat Show. Please join Lori H. Schwartz again for another great program next Wednesday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel and syndicated to the Voice America Women's Channel. 